The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Welcome to Business is Boring. Wool is an amazing natural fibre, and New Zealand is one of the greenest places to produce it, though it's less and less important to our economy. Today's guest grew up on a sheep farm and saw the decline happen to the industry and the rise of synthetics. But when Derrily Potros-Smith had a child and looked at the world of nappies, she thought something had to change. Each disposable nappy contains the equivalent of a cup of crude oil and synthetic materials, and every minute, hundreds of thousands are thrown out around the world. The search for a better alternative took her to wool, and over 15 years, Derrily has developed a company, industry relationship science, and two patented products that use wool for nappies and personal hygiene products, using chemistry to make a water-resistant wool 25 times more absorbent. Woolcomy, the company she is co-founder and CEO of, has recently closed a $1.5 million funding round to take this technology to the world and hopefully help find new markets for New Zealand heavy wool. To talk the journey, Derrily Pontros-Smith joins us now. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Kia ora. Thanks, Simon. Hey, so first up, tell us about that background in wool and farming as it kind of charts like uh, towards the kind of high points where where you were beginning right and then you've seen the decline and change in the industry. Yeah so I grew up in a very rural small community about an hour north of New Plymouth in a place called Morco and it's right on the on the west coast Um, an absolutely beautiful place. Um, it is a, a very rural area though, so sheep farming, um, sheep and beef farming was very, very common. Um, and that was my early childhood was around that sort of environment. I guess my family was very typical for most farming families, uh, intergenerational. So I'm like sixth generation Polish um, in New Zealand. Um, My mother was English. And so farming's been in my blood for a very, very long time. But as you said, there has been a a decline over that time. So I remember in 1989, 50% of our uh, income came from the wool clip. And then literally overnight, within six months, it dropped to 10%. Yeah, wow. What does that do for a farm and for a way of life? Yeah, I mean, I had a a really good childhood, but I definitely recall some very fractious times where it was really, really tough. And um, we never really went without, but we didn't go anywhere either. Um, And so it it was something that was always discussed in our family. What are we going to do about wool? What can we put it in that... um, will ensure that it's going to be with us forever. And it's amazing, right, that it's been such an important fibre and textile for millennia, 
right? Mm. And then just in the last kind of 40 years, wool carpets have been supplanted. So that was a huge part of what New Zealand wool was used for, uh, was carpet around the world, and then synthetics took, took that away. And then also, of course, like textiles and clothing and the like, and replaced mainly by plastics, which is kind of bananas, right? And then you hear these stories, like even to the very, very, very recently, of farmers having to only really shear sheep for you know, um, humane reasons, uh, and then burying the wool rather than selling it. What mm. an amazing turnaround! Yeah, it's it's um, it makes me very very sad. It's just something that um, should never have happened. I mean, in nineteen fifties, um, wool was the backbone of our uh, country, and for farmers, wool used to bring in eighty percent of their income, and then you know it's now eighty percent meat. And 20% wool, and farmers aren't even recouping the cost. Uh, it costs more to shear sheep than it is to, um, you know, to, to actually sell the wool. And so farmers have become really despondent. And you've seen these conversions of high country sheep farms, which are a lot less environmentally intensive than dairy, converted to dairy, and all kinds of non-economic farming turned to dairy with great use of. Uh, you, you know, nitrogen and fertilise and all the rest of it, water, um, to, to make it possible. Well, sheep are a very much lighter touch on the environment, right? Yes, and wool actually is 50% carbon. And it's something that we have never, ever acknowledged, that wool potentially is a, a carbon sequestration uh, for us. Um, I know there is a study uh, happening right now. Um, some scientists are looking at that. Um, but what an incredible product, which can just go back into the ground. Um, in fact, you know, wool contains five of the seven nutrients that you need to support plant growth. The other two are sunlight and water, which we have plenty of here in New Zealand. So, I mean, what an incredible product that can go back into the earth and support plant life. And while there have been some bright lights, like Merino, the people at New Zealand Merino, done an amazing job of creating some high-value kind of product chains, right? Heavy wool, that hasn't had the same resurgence. Can you help us understand kind of what heavy wool is and what kind of size of the industry that would be? So we actually call it either coarse wool or strong wool. Mm. And... Um, Everyone thinks of Merino. It's been a well-branded, um, marketed product. Coarse wool is, has, actually has the same qualities, but not many people realise that 90% of our wool clip is actually strong wool. So people come to us and often ask about, you know, can I use Merino wool in this new product? And I often ask, why not strong wool? I think our, you know, 6% of the super fine wool here is already taken up with lots of other products. We actually need more innovation in products using the strong wool, which is just, you know, going to waste. So there's this missed opportunity there to actually use the strong wool. And if you think back to, you know, many years, you know, your great great grandmother probably knitted a, a very scratchy jersey. And that would have been made of the the strong wool, which is like a, a, a cross they also call it crossbreed wool. Um, it was very scratchy the way they kind of made it. But now um, now you can make very soft fabrics out of strong wool. And it really just comes down to 
the manufacturing capability that you use, uh, you can actually make it quite soft and durable and um, really lovely next to the skin. And so you kind of knew about and loved the world of wool and had grown up in a house that was wondering what can we do with it. Tell me about the thing that made you kind of decide to chase it down with Woolcomy. Tell me about that kind of um, realisation you had with nappies. Well, I actually went to university and did an engineering degree um, and then I went into the IT industry. And when I finally left that industry to go and have children, um, and I was probably a bit later in life having children, I was my first child I had at 31, um, I knew that I was using a lot of disposable nappies and I did try cloth nappies as well, but my first child had uh, a lot of nappy rash uh, against the skin. And so I would always use disposable nappies. Um, but And I knew there was a lot of waste. So a, na- a baby will go through between four to 6,000 nappies in their lifetime um, until they're potty trained. And we're actually seeing that children are becoming um, older to potty train. So when I was potty trained, I was maybe 18 months old. My children were more like three and a half years old. And then I had a, a bedwetting son till he was about 13. So I was using a lot of these products um, and, you know, and then throwing them away. Uh, so that actually caused a bit of an eco-anxiety attack for me. <laughs> but actually more so when I actually discovered what was in these products. Um, and that started this journey. So I remember my mum coming down and, as per usual, always talking about wool and looking and thinking about, you know, what product could we make that would help a wool revival? And um, my only answer to her was, look, I think if we're going to help the wool industry, it has to be a product which um, people don't keep forever. (laughs) It sounds awful, but um, it has to be something that people are going to want constant demand for. So it needs to have something that's, um, it needs to be something of a short shelf life. People need it every single day. It's a necessity item, something that people have to buy even in a recession. That's how we're going to solve the woes of the wool industry. And at that time, she said to me, as I was changing my son's nappy, she said, well, you know, you go through a lot of disposable nappies. And I said, I know, and I feel terrible. I don't even know what is in these products, to be honest, um, but they can't be bad. It, it, it feels like you just, you know, you wrap them up into a, a big ball and then we I just throw them in the wheelie bin. At one point, I was trying to recycle them. I... I used to take them to pack and save in a big rubbish bag, dump them in a in a um, some you know, big major sort of wheelie bin, and they used to get taken away and supposedly composted. So I felt a bit better about that. But actually, when I actually dug a little bit closer into the research, that's where I found out that National Geographic had mentioned that each nappy contained a cup of crude oil, um, which was just horrifying to me. And when I looked at the, even you know a little bit closer, I, you know I. I brought out some statistics. 248 million barrels of crude oil make 167 billion disposable nappies every year, um, producing 38 million tonnes of solid waste. And, you know, when you know that, you can't unknow it. <laughs> and uh, I could have easily just said, not my problem, Uh Oh, that's going to be someone else's problem. But I realised this is the legacy we're leaving to our children. We're just going to pass it on to somebody else. So 
who am I not to actually do something about this? I have the engineering background. I'm a mother. I represent 50% of the population that use feminine hygiene products. These are terrible statistics. That statistic that one in three um, women um, have experience incontinence at some point. Um, people that have diabetes will have symptoms of incontinence. These are things that people don't really want to talk about, but it's it's out there. And these products that you use every day are made of this plastic. And then, of course, the plastic, we think we throw it away into the landfill where it stays there, but actually, in fact, it then breaks up into tiny pieces, ends up in our oceans, we're now breathing these microplastics in the air. Um, and then we're actually finding these microplastics in our body. So I actually think we're on the brink of, of discovering that microplastics are the next tobacco issue. Mm-hmm. And we've got to do something about it. And wool has amazing qualities that could actually solve part of this issue. How do you go from that realisation to chasing down, you you know, making wool, which is kind of famously water resistant, right? Like one of its like best qualities of wool is you wear it tramping or something and the water will wick off it. And um, merino, a lot of its use of cases are very much in that space. How do you go about helping to make wool into something that can be absorbent? Well, wool actually has a very complex structure and more so than probably any other natural fibre. So there's lots of things that wool is famous for. And yes, typically a merino garment like what I'm wearing today is uh, really good at moisture wicking. Um, And so with the actual wool fibre structure, what you'll find is the internal parts of wool is actually quite absorbent, but the outer part is not. Um, There are lots of texts textile chemistry which will actually strip off the outside of the wool fibre in order to make it more absorbent. But that is not a very eco-friendly process. And so when we did start looking at, okay, hmm, could we put wool inside nappies? I mean, when I was growing up, uh, wool was used on the outside of the nappy to keep you warm and dry. And our sort of question was, okay, what could we actually make it absorbent? And when I started talking to scientists at Agri Research, I started to learn a lot more about how wool is constructed from a molecular uh, perspective. And so the question was, if we could if we could do something about the outer part without completely destroying it or um, using nasty chemicals to expose that layer, wool could actually be absorbent. And so the brief to to, um, the scientists were, okay, we need to work out a way to make wool absorbent without it harming the environment. And um, the scientists said, well, yeah, if you wanted to do something really um, uh, you know, that was really nasty. We could do this tomorrow. But obviously that's not going to fly. And I said, no, it's not. So it took two years to actually develop that technology. And actually what we do is we, our, we've got a, a patented uh, biotech um, process that actually alters the molecular structure of the wool fibre. So it's a very simple, clever process that uses organic chemistry. So a major component of what we use is a byproduct of another agricultural industry. 
so there's plenty of this material around the world. Um, but we use it to alter the molecular structure of the wool fibre and that actually breaks some bonds, very important bonds that actually makes wool absorbent and then resets them. So what you get is a material that, um, in particular this material I've got in front of me, which is a needle punch felted material, typically they would only absorb 30% of its weight and moisture and for that material alone um, we'll do over a 1,000%. So... 10 times more. Uh, if you do it in a loose structure, you can get up to that 2,500% absorbency. So I think there's a lot of work to do around the structure of the fabrics um, that we use. Um, but it's really exciting because now we can put wool into markets where it's never, ever ex existed before. And, of course, hygiene being a big, major issue in terms of impact to the environment. But where there is a huge focus on health and well-being, wool has a, a, a part to play there. You mentioned the agri-research um, experience. Like, how has your experience been going and working with uh, government and industry bodies to build out this technology? Because there's so many people who really love the wool industry, right, and are, and are yeah. sad for the way that it's, um, it's, it's fallen from usage in so many places. And... You've managed to do a lot of stuff that's never been done before. Yeah, and probably people thought we were a bit crazy at the beginning, to yeah, be yeah, honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine going to um, pitch an idea where you wanted to put wool inside a nappy and you're pitching this to um, a table of men, probably late 60s. Um, or Yeah, and there's maybe one woman in the room and, and then a, a young dad. And the woman and the young dad totally understand it. And the others go, this is so left field and crazy. We're just not sure whether this is going to fly. And um, my response to that at the time was, look, we used to have a, a wool board and we used to give um, a wool levy f uh, amount of money to the wool board. It was a certain amount, it was like three cents for every kilo of wool you produced. Farmers would give that to the wool board and the wool board's job was to find contracts and to find ideas to to uh, use wool. And of course, then the farmers voted against that because they couldn't see that the, the wool board was doing anything. Uh, and so that all stopped. But my response was, so this particular fund that we, we looked at, it was actually funds left over from the wool levy fund. And they sort of said to me, have you got anything else left to say? And I said... All I can tell you is my family actually contributed to that wool levy fund. I think over our lifetime, it was like maybe $75,000 at the time, um, over probably maybe 20 years, 30 years. Um, I said, the least you could do is just give that back. Give it back to me, and I'm going to do some amazing stuff with that. Um, we're going to spend this with some world-class scientists that we have here in New Zealand that understand well, and we're going to do something with it. And uh, that was the first move where people went, hmm, okay, it is a bit left-field idea, but who are we to, 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 you know, stop this dream? That's so cool. And we'll be back in a moment with Dara Lee to talk how she built Wilkami, got the science together, and has products ready to take to the world.
Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. Welcome back to Business is Boring, where we're chatting with Derali Potros-Smith from Alchemy. So tell me where you are today with the products, as you've got kind of two separate products with different uh, attributes. What are they for? Yes, so we um, first developed Newsorb, which was our absorbent material, which we basically just took some machinery that's already here in New Zealand and made some felted wool and then we put it through our amazing beautiful chemistry um, to make wool absorbent and um, so that has a lot of uses for um, anything that you need to absorb either a chemical, water, urine, blood, um, can do lots of different things Um, and so cloth nappy inserts is, is one application um, and there's a big craze around uh, washable period underwear at the moment, which I think will be with us for forever now. Uh, and, and, and kind of, sorry to interrupt, and kind of was with us forever prior, right? We've just had like a yeah. 30, 40 year um, collective go mad in it, consumer exactly. economies. And so, yeah, that's actually part of our philosophy is, you know, we, we've complicated our lives so much. We can all we need to do is actually look back in the history and past and see how things were done, but just make them better. Um, and that's why we we look at leveraging nature, um, but we just use modern science to make it supernatural. And so, and that's what we've done with our Newsall product. Um, so we are trialing that with companies that are in that hygiene space where you want something washable, and it works extremely well because you're essentially replacing you know, microfiber materials that are usually made of polyester, which is fossil fuels, with something natural. And then that led on to us looking at a, a much lightweight material. Now, if you, um, the listeners won't see this unless they see the video, but, you know, imagine a material that looks like a wet wipe. And we've actually been able to put coarse wool into it, and it feels really, really soft. This is um, actually a world first. No one's ever put wool into these types of machines. These are are still a non-woven felted material. So the great thing about non-woven materials, both of these are are sort of a felted process, um, it's a very low um, processing in terms of manufacturing. And so we can talk about, you know, a lower carbon footprint. These are just big, massive machines that you put wool fibre in and it comes out the other end as on, on a big roll of materials, uh, which works how how hygiene materials actually work for nappies and other incontinence um, and feminine hygiene products. But that was actually a real a real first for us. And um, interesting story on that was 
we basically deconstructed a nappy. And nappies are very highly engineered products. Uh, they look very simple, but every single layer in there is about four or five layers. They each have a particular function. So obviously you've got the absorption part, but the top sheet, you want it to be water repelling. So you don't want to hold on to any moisture because that is what causes rashes against skin. The next layer under that, the second layer down, is what they call a acquisition distribution layer, which is, is just a moisture distributing layer. We know that wool wicks moisture, and that's where we've put the wool is in that second layer. And what we found is if you take out that layer and you put in our wool layer, we can actually improve the performance of those nappies by up to 40%. So you've got this sustainable story of replacing uh, plastic so that layer would normally be made of polyethylene uh, so we can make it completely bio-based. In fact, we're the first company in the world to make a bio-based acquisition layer. And so that's where, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be in a space where there aren't um, really any competitors in that space. And it's a high-functioning layer that actually makes a huge difference to the health and well-being for the, for a baby and we be, believe is the answer to helping babies sleep through the night. We haven't fully, um, I guess, proven that out because there's really been no studies on nappies <laughs> really around the space. But if you look at how wool uh, works in a, wool, in a garment next to your skin, you would wear that because, you know, even if you're wet, you're going to still feel warm and dry. And the same thing actually works inside a nappy. You want to feel dry when if you're feeling wet. And um, babies will wake up in the night when they feel discomfort or they're hungry. Uh, so by just replacing that layer, we can have a huge impact to the health and well-being. And so these two different kinds of materials, you've taken a strategy of being kind of like an ingredient, right? Or like a textile that other people can use in their end products that go to consumers. So would these live inside synthetic disposable nappies and make them just far better than the current completely synthetic approach? Or would they be inside some kind of cross between a cloth nappy and a synthetic nappy? You know, like lots of cloth nappies have a plastic outer clip-on layer or something like yeah um what well, how, how do you see these being used or or how are they looking to be used i guess you're we're quite similar to i guess all birds where you know they focus on the comfort and performance of the product and then sustainability comes second and the same is for all parents want products that work first and in the past People have made, you know, natural type materials, but then they haven't worked properly. And so we put a huge emphasis on performance and that comes becomes number one. What we've noticed in the hygiene industry is, and, and when we first started, there was a lot of plastic in these products. And now we're seeing technology come out where you can now replace every single layer of a nappy in a bio-based version. And that's fantastic news because that then means you can compost those products. What's been missing is that second layer down in a disposable nappy, which can never be made in a bio-based format because if you use any kind of um, natural fibre, 
it will tend to absorb a lot of moisture and you don't want it to absorb moisture, you want it to repel it. Um, and so we're actually enabling a lot of products now to become fully compostable. And in fact, we're working with brands that are going to the extent of um, using the best materials so that they can be composted. And, you know, like one of our customers is um, supplying to hospitals um, abroad. And what they're doing is they then take those used nappies and they're putting them into um, a special biodigesting um, machinery in order to generate energy for those hospitals. So you're getting a full circular process happening there, which we just haven't really seen in the past, and um, which is really exciting for us because it's now credible to actually put our materials into these products and know that they're going to be going into products which will be fully biodegradable and compostable and hopefully home compostable, which our materials actually are. That is such a hopeful future around the corner, right? Where I imagine as the scale of these things goes up, the price and affordability goes down as well. How does it measure up versus kind of, you know, the... Though unbelievably, um, you know, it's wrong how cheap a lot of the synthetic materials are considering all the externalities aren't costed in, whether it's the destabilising of the countries it comes from, the costs of the transport, the, 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 the subsidies that we give these industries at every point. Uh, but they're kind, of, they're kind of crazily cheap. Yeah, there's a couple of things there to mention. I mean, hygiene products are very are seen to be very low cost, high volume. Um, but what we've noticed, now that we've become essentially textile experts, is we've noticed that um, you can actually, that philosophy which we always embody, which is less is more. If you can imagine, you know, our product is um, high performing and if we can increase the performance of products, what that then means is you can take out some of those materials out of those products. So you can use less materials, but what you spend is you put it into things that work extremely well, and that's where our wool products um, really stack up. So the actual wool fibres themselves, unfortunately, it, as they stand today, synthetic fibres actually are worth more than our wool fibres. It's crazy. And that can't continue. So we work directly with farmers and the goal of that is to match brands up with the farmers so they have that full traceability and transparency. It means we can increase the returns back to the farmers. So we actually pay them more um, to a point where it's actually then profitable for them. And that is exciting for our country because that money goes back into our country, creates jobs. Um, the other thing on that is, you know, um, we actually started out, we were going to make our own biodegradable nappy. But when I actually went out into the world, went to a lot of conferences, um, I noticed it's hu it's hugely competitive in the hygiene world. You know, there are big companies, there are small companies, they're all competing for the consumer's um, money. And 
we quickly realised, okay, that wasn't going to be the right model for us. If our goal was to use as much wool as possible um, and to have the biggest impact on the world in terms of environmental impact um, in a positive way, we decided to switch to that ingredient brand model, a bit much like, you know, a little bit like Gore-Tex is to um, the rain jackets. Um, so we just had to look at what are we really good at. We're really good at making amazing, high-performing, natural, sustainable materials. Let's work with brands to make their products better. And then that way you're not competing. You're actually going in there in a capacity of helping and supporting to shift the way products are made. Um, and so that's been a really big impact in terms of um, how we're received around the world. Um, and um, it, it's going to work extremely well for us and for the New Zealand economy. Yeah, that's so amazing that it's cost competitive with these materials that are made at such scale with such an industry behind them. And it can provide a better return for farmers than what they're getting for this this wool. Like, what's the state of the wool industry today, especially with the uh, with with the coarse or strong wool? And where do you see this going? Yeah, I mean, once upon a time there were twelve sheep for every person in New Zealand. Um, going probably going back to the nineteen fifties, and now it's like five per person. So we've actually lost a lot of sheep. Um, if we make this fly, I would like to see the balance come back with sheep, more sheep in New Zealand. Sheep are, are incredibly robust and they provide incredible diversity on, on our farms. They um, are complementary to other farming systems. So diversity is really, really key, I think, for our future. And so farming of sheep, um, I would like to see increased. It will have a, um, you know, I think there's like 100,000 tonnes of clean, strong wool that we have access to, um, which we perceive that we could use all of that easily. We're in the market of a, the technical textiles market, which is, these are textiles which are functional. They're not aesthetic. They're not things that, we don't try to make things look pretty. We try to make them functional. That market is a $200 billion market. So in, in actual fact, I'm almost worried we might run out of wool, <laughs> 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 which is yeah. a, not a bad problem to have, really. But um, yeah, I think we're going to need to increase our, our um, sheep numbers. Yeah. And so you've just completed or recently completed a capital raise with some great investors coming in to help you now kind of like scale up and head to the world, eh? Tell us about that process and also, you know, it's been 15 years of like developing this, right? Like, yeah. like two years on the initial science and then getting patents and then developing the products and then developing, you know, all kinds of international relationships and customers and to get to this point, like, how does it feel to have that kind of dream that you had born out and then backed by some really great investors. Yeah, I mean, 10, 15 years ago when we started, it was just an idea on a back of piece of a piece of paper, basically, and we didn't really know whether it was going to fly. And of course, I was bringing up three children at the time. I had three children under the age of six, 
um, when I was sort of starting out developing this company, my mum was fantastic in the wool shed. So um, she knew everything about wool. She'd often take things out of the pantry and, and try to cobble things together. And it wasn't until we actually got some initial funding um, from various groups to actually really work on the science aspect. Um, it's been quite a journey, but yeah, actually getting that investment was um, evidence that we actually have legs. You know, we actually can actually really have an amazing business. And I'm really proud of the investors that we have. It's very diverse. Um, our lead investor is the first woman-founded, funded uh, VC in New Zealand, even Capital. Um, they've just been incredibly supportive. And then we've got two EWI groups, which I I um, I remember saying to them, I would be so proud to have your investment because, you know, I can actually give back to you pretty quickly in terms of if you've got wool, we can source your wool. We can have develop an incredible story around um, the kaitiakitanga process that Māori believe in. And in actual fact, farmers, all farmers believe in that that you need to uh, look after our land. In fact, there's a um, a saying which um, I just love, which is ka ora te whenua, ka ora te tangata. When the land is healthy, the people are, are healthy. Um, and that's quite incredible. So I've been very blessed to be able to have their support. They totally understand that we need to be thinking about diversity in Aotearoa, uh, and to have products that are circular, they go back to the earth, um, and to be thinking about our young people as well, investing in education around fibre technology. There's so many opportunities that we could offer down the track. Um, and then we've got some high net worth individuals, which are just incredibly passionate uh, about the environment and, and business. So business has to cover off making profit um, but if you're doing something good as well that's good for people and the planet that is uh, an absolute bonus and absolute necessity so you know as I said 10 years ago no one really thought about we're thinking that much about sustainability particularly in America I used to go there they loved what we were doing they thought we were amazing um, but they were still thinking about the bottom line, and that has completely changed, especially with, um, in 2019, the, um, the European Commission brought out the single-use plastics derivative, uh, sorry, directive, and basically that highlighted 10 products, which are the most ocean-polluting products, and one of those is sanitary products. So that actually actually gave us the boost to... Um, show that we're credible, credible company, and that we have the ability to turn the wool industry from a sheep to a unicorn. <laughs> I love it. And so what will this funding allow and where do you where do you see this going? So currently we are trialling with some nappy companies. Um, we've actually been very fortunate that um, there have been many global companies that have actually come to us. So we haven't actually had to go out and sell this. They just get it. They totally understand. Consumers are wanting better products. They want them to be sustainable. I was one of those parents that was horrified about what was in these products and wanted better for my children. And 
many parents are, are exactly the same. You want the best for your children. Same if you've got a pet. You know, these products are also used for pets, and often people with pets will spend more than on children. So um, there's lots of different applications. I think with being an ingredient supplier, what that also offers is the ability for many companies to contact us to talk about their product that they want to launch using our materials. And we are noticing that. We're noticing uh, a huge sort of increase in entrepreneurship around the world of people saying, you know, totally understand what you're doing. We totally need these materials now. We can't be thinking about that buying the cheapest product is the best. And, and for parents, buying any kind of hygiene product, um, they do need them to work extremely well. And that is a very key driver. So the sustainability is definitely a supporting aspect of that. If you can get something that works well and actually is sustainable, then people are 100% buying that. Wow. And what would your advice be for people who do spot an opportunity and, you know, because it must have been, there must have been many stops along the way where you've had to be, you know, break down the doors to make this happen, make people think about things in new ways. Uh, you've done a fantastic job of, you know, building up the science and the IP portfolio and the patents by, you know, working with heaps of grants and the like. And all of that is so hard ahead of significant revenue and the like and takes, you know, so much belief to make something new possible. What would your advice be for someone who, who does see a better way? Yeah, I think many people would be like me when I started out, which is, you know, who am I to make a change in the world? What can I really offer? But, and I used to say, it's so random that I went from an IT industry. I mean, I come from building electronic data loggers and um, jet planes and, um building computer systems for all sorts of different companies and agencies around the world. And then I had children and saw a need in the world and uh, and had a purpose. Um, we all have a, a North Star that we aim for and some, well, sometimes you don't know what that is, but when you discover it, it's hard to let it go. So if you're really passionate about something, I wouldn't be thinking about, hey, what do I know? <laughs> what skills do I have? If you're curious, anybody can can actually do it. It's just actually asking questions. I don't need to be a textile expert. There are some amazing scientists, it, and it's taken a team of people. I've got an incredible team. We've got people around the world that are world experts in the hygiene industry, and it's not my job to to understand every single thing. I only need to ask them a question and people are willing to offer up their help and advice. Uh, so I would just say, just get started, try it. If it doesn't work out, that's fine. You know, you move on to something else. And for me, I had tried a lot of different things in my lifetime. Lots, I had lots of ideas <laughs> and none of them really flew. You know, I, I quickly dropped them. But this was the one thing that I knew was what I was design and born to do and uh, had everything in my background to make it fly and I guess anyone who knows me will know that when I put my mind to something I actually do it. Yeah magic and as a final thought Daryl what will success be 
for you personally and for welcoming? I will be dancing when I see the the first wool product um, on the shelves, um, and which is very, very close by, actually. You'll actually start to see some products out in the industry um, or out in the supermarkets ne- as early as next year, which I'm really excited about. Um, and so, you know, if I can achieve that, that will be just give me such kudos <laughs> and, and make it all worthwhile. Um, and my my husband will um, be overjoyed as well because he's really had to back me on all this. And my children have, you know, seen me working out in shipping containers as I do my bit of chemistry um, outside and um, hopefully it's an inspiration for them as well. But for Wilkeme, you know, I want this to be a billion-dollar company. I want this to be big um, and it has to be big because um, the wool industry needs it, Aotearoa needs it, our environment needs it. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to generating the $100 million um, revenue within the next five to ten years. I can't wait to see where you take it next. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Kia ora. Kia ora, thanks very much. Thank you so much to Lee Patros-Smith. Thank you for listening and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Do follow Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. In Ahura. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Businesses Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.